Welcome to the Broadcast Sport podcast. I'm Max Miller, reporter for Broadcast Sport. Today's episode comes from the 2022 Broadcast Sport Leaders Forum, which took place at the BFI South Bank on the 1st of November. Base Media's Emily Pryor speaks to Aurora Managing Director Lawrence Duffy and Whisper Managing Director Mark Cole about how to produce large live sports events. So, um, Lawrence, would you like to introduce yourself and Aurora? Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Lawrence Duffy. I'm the uh, founder and MD of the company. Hi, I'm Mark Cole. I'm the, uh, the MD at, at Whisper. Uh, I've been there for six years now and we've uh, got a great growing team. And Brilliant. Thank you very much. So, Lawrence, uh, that video was... It's very varied. You guys seem to cover lots of sports. It'd be really good to hear from you in a bit more detail about the different sports that you, that you cover and, and how you do that. Well, um, uh, so we started the company. Uh, I started the company ten years ago, and actually, it's really it was it was a super interesting first session from the guys from um, Sky and the BBC and Channel Four. Um, what we did was we we kind of went a different way. So we work with a lot of rights holders around the world. We travel a lot. We're an international business. And so we have, we're the host broadcaster for Sale GP, for Formula E, for Extreme E, um, Super League Triathlon, and um, Thrill One, another series out of the US, another car series. And we, you know, like Mark, we've got numerous um, international clients, FIFA, Olympic Channel, Jaguar, Coca-Cola, and so on and so forth. So we create a huge amount of content through the year. But here talking about the live events, um, some of the big live events and some of the challenges we heard earlier, um, are with us but um, we those shows that we make are taken by formerly he's got 40 broadcasters XE 70 sale GP 40 so we're, we're with we're with the, the content that we make is taken by a huge range of broadcasters free to air satellite OTT they have DTC platforms so we're pretty much in the middle of what's happening internationally and I'm pleased to say that still back in the UK and um, Pete's good enough to take um FE on Channel 4, Extreme goes on ITV, Sale GP on Sky, and Super League Triathlon on the BBC and, and, and on, on the iPlayer. So it's a very wide range, very international, and um, we have a very interesting, well, I hope we've got quite an interesting perspective on what the world is doing and how we operate internationally as well as domestically in the UK. That's great. Thank you, Mark. It'd be really helpful, I think, for the audience as well to, to find out a bit more what you do. Obviously, we saw the Lionesses clip, but... You know, I know you did the AJ fight and, and the Paralympics. If you go into a bit more detail about those live events as well, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of um, live events and, and major events, we've got a really wide portfolio. And um, yeah, the sort of, I guess, the, the pinnacle in the summer was was the women's Euros and, and working on that project predominantly with the BBC, but also with UEFA and, and FA as well. Um, but our partnership with, with Channel 4 has, has sort of spanned um, the last three Paralympics and we're working with them on Paris as well. So. Yeah, they're very different challenges for that, or doing a heavyweight title fight in Saudi Arabia. So you, you find that there are different challenges that, that, that come up along, along the way. But I think having that, that varied sort of uh, client base and portfolio allows you to sort of deal with those. And you, you take sort of experiences from one and try and bring them into another event you're doing. But, but ultimately, it, it's all about trying to deliver for the client, the broadcaster, but also for the audience, trying to put them at the heart of everything you're doing and, and, and making sure you're really engaging. And, and that the, the first session today, there was a lot of conversation about how do we engage that audience, particularly some of those declining ones, and, and bring in that young audience. So, so trying to link it in with, with some of the, the features and the storytelling, as well as the digital properties, is a, is, a, is a real key. So there's not such a thing anymore as just, here's the live event. It's that full sort of 360 picture of the other elements that go in with that. Yeah, brilliant. And I guess it's sort of a question for you both. How are you using new innovation technologies? I know you just mentioned you know bringing the fans with you, but... I guess some of the locations that you, that you guys are working in aren't uh, 
you know, set up necessarily for these big live broadcasts. So how are you using new technology to, to ensure that you're bringing the fans with you? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing, and I think Aurora have done it as well, is, is remote production. I think uh, we were really proud to, to win an award for our, our remote production three years ago and working closely with our OB partners timeline. They were at the forefront of that, so we've, we've been working really close with them. I think it, it, it's, it spoils a lot of people's fun. You're in, you're in Ealing rather than Sydney for a lot of the major events, but um, and we had a, a big team in, but it really helped during the pandemic. And, and our, our initial plan was to take 200 plus to Tokyo, but we ended up scaling that back, having a team in Leeds, the majority of the team in, in West London, and then a smaller team in Tokyo. It allowed us to sort of to get through some of the challenges of, of COVID. Um, and I think remote production is great. I think there are efficiencies and savings, but also that it allows you to do more as well, to offer extra streams, to offer, extra things for the audience, a, a fraction of the cost if you were sending lines back across the world. So, so yeah, there, there's a lot of efficiencies in it, but there's also a, some extra value for, uh, for audiences as well. Brilliant, Lawrence. Well, look, I mean, I think it's a great time to be a producer, is the first thing to say. And um, listening to the guys talk earlier about the amount of sport that's on TV, there's a massive amount, there's a massive amount not on TV. So first of all, you have to work out what platforms are you going to be on? And what do the rights order, what are the clients trying to do, what's their key messages, uh, what is the fan engaging with and how do you service a fan? And sometimes they're the same thing. Um, um, you know, and what we did, what we do is, is you know, some of the sports, that we are, look, a number of the sports that we're working with and what is a vogue in, in our business is that the formatting of sports is a big vogue, right? So it's no longer enough, and I'm sure Coley will say the same, you know, if you talk about the women's Euros and even or the rugby or the tennis, you know, fixed fields of play, um, getting some of those moments right is massively, it, it, that, that is a key thing. You know, telling the story at that point when, the, when you know, England win the Euros, that, getting that right, cutting the right camera, that is everything. That is in the moment. But at the same time, for some of the new sports that emerge, there is no format. You know, when Formula E started, there was no book. When Extreme E started, there was no book. So we worked with the rights holders to actually format the sport. So I remember with Formula E, we were like determined to make it under an hour so that broadcasts could come in, get out after, after an hour because we, we know, as we were talking earlier, that audiences, younger audiences, won't, they won't deal with anything else. You know, there's, there's a phrase in, in, in sports terminology now called the crunch timers, which Barry, one of our colleagues, was talking about. So the, the Gen Z will come in for that moment. They won't watch the whole thing. They'll come in, they'll watch 10 minutes, and they'll go out again. So all of us are challenged with um, trying to find the way in which formatting sport works for both the existing generation and the next generation to encourage and engage the audiences at all levels, whether you are the Premier League, the Euros, the World Cup, or, uh, or your, your Formula E or Extreme E. So technology... Uh, offers a lot of innovation, but actually creative vision offers a lot of innovation as well. And if, I mean, even, even platform innovation is just at it as well, because FIFA Plus started for a reason. The Olympic Channel started for a reason, because they knew every four years the Olympics would generate a big audience, and they knew that between those four years they wouldn't. So platform innovation is here to stay. Rights holders have got their own platforms. Broadcasts have got their own uh, digital platforms to encourage audiences for companion products, which are not the live. And then as Mark says, technical innovations like remote are, you know, if you're not doing remote production and you're travelling a lot, you know, the, the question is why are you not doing it? Do you think COVID prompted a quicker adoption of remote production than you'd originally planned? And I guess, do you see that changing your strategy going forward? 
Yeah, I, I think it. I think it did move things forward. It, it became rather than a choice, a necessity, really, and, and I think it just allowed people to to embrace that and to to go early with a transition that was was pretty inevitable, really. So yeah, I think. Look, I mean, you know, remote production. You know, we so we do sell GP remote production. Formula E is moving to a full remote, remote production model next year. Extreme E is basically taken remote production and just squared it and kicked it out of the park um, because it had to be remote. Uh, so Extreme E has got four galleries, three, three live TV galleries and a graphics gallery. So it's got a gallery on site. It's got a gallery in London where all the pictures come in. We do the AR and VR for Extreme E in the Netherlands and we do the graphics in Barcelona. So you've got four sites all pushing live data into London and then from there that content being pushed out to 70 to 80 broadcasters. I mean, it's total witchcraft. I mean, it shouldn't happen, um, but it does. And I think it sort of set a new bar for, you know, how remote production works. And um, everybody knows that, you know, um, we ought to be, um, you know, climate change is here and now and we should be uh, reducing our carbon footprint. And I'm the worst example of it. I've got a terrible carbon footprint over my career. But you know we have we have to do it now, and um, and, the, and by the way, the technology allows it so that the powerhouse that you can have in the hub environment now, where you can have a whole lot of graphics engines. You know we are using Unreal Engine, which is another innovator. If you're not using Unreal Engine in sport, you should think about it because it is just the offer that Unreal Engine gives you in graphics and AR and VR um, is fantastic, and that's an innovation that we brought into Extreme E. I think that actually Conrad was talking about AR previously, about how, how good it was. And that allows you to create a product which is slightly more in keeping with a with new, with with new audience. So being at home, producing, allows bigger power, allows better products, slower, you know, um, uh, less people on the ground. I think when you talk about innovation as well, like we often get drawn down the technical route. There's, there's lots of different type of, of innovation. There's the workflow side of it getting things in a more efficient way, but also in, in the way you do your programs. And we've had a real big push over the last four or five years to bring entertainment more into sports coverage and working with the likes of Channel 4, having a very different take on Formula 1. I think there's, there's two very clear offerings for fans. Sky are very sort of motorsport heavy, and I think we're given the license to have a bit more fun. The team that we have and the stories we make brings that different approach. So I think uh, innovation, obviously, technical is, is a really big part of it, but I think also your approach to how you make sport and not always doing it the same way is a really big thing for us. That segues quite nicely actually to a few a few questions that we're getting on Slido, so don't don't forget to send them in. Um, so I think just in terms of the theme of innovation, um, a question from Anonymous is how will the automation of sports coverage, which is quickly improving in quality, impact on human operated production? Yeah, look, I think it's a good question. I think that, you know, um, Inevitably, there'll be some elements um, which uh, automation is good for. I mean, if you took, you know, for example, the outside courts at Wimbledon, you know, probably automated, good, good value. Um, you know, we use automated cameras in some of the elements that, that we produce already. So in the field, again, as an example for Extreme E, we don't put cameras all the way um, around a glacier because it's just impossible to get to. We can put fixed cameras down there and, and the quality of the images coming back are really good and they're, they're remotely uh, used. Um, similarly, we use fixed, what we'd call fixed rig cameras in different parts of our production because we, we're, you know, we're, we're losing a man or, or a woman um, and um, we've reduced costs, we've reduced people going on site. So I think it's inevitable that will come, but you cannot replace, you know, to the example I was giving Mark earlier, you know, the director calling for that one shot that the algorithm doesn't see. And um, 
it's human knowledge that knows that, that, <clears throat> that that's a shot that is required at that time and that makes a difference. So I think it will come where it, it, the percentage will grow, but not to a point where it eliminates um, camera and EVS operators and directors and vision mixers and producers and managing directors. Yeah, and I think like we, we have turned to automation in some areas for like highlights, edits, and where a producer used to be on that, they're now doing a different role. So I think anyone who's, who's tried to staff a major event this summer knows there's no shortage of roles for people. So I don't think it's replacing people, it's just moving them into different areas. Yeah, really interesting. Another question actually sort of focusing on, on the talent pool. Um, I know Whisper have um, some some very high targets that I believe you're you're hitting, which is which is brilliant to hear in terms of promoting diversity sort of within the organisation. Um, so the question I've got is industry is facing a talent crisis. Are you seeing skills and talent shortages? And if so, in what areas for sport, for live sport production? Every area. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it is a challenge. I think, yeah, I mean, on the, on the diversity and inclusion side, as, as you mentioned, it's something that we really pride ourselves on, and our, our CEO, Sunil Patel, has been a real driving force in that. And um, in the women's Euros, we made a commitment to have 50% of the team being female. In the Paralympics, we, it was important to us that 20% of the team had a disability. So I, I think that will always con continue and, and will we'll drive and focus for that. But, yeah, I think when, when you have a, a summer like we've just had with events, like the Women's Euros, like Wimbledon, Formula One, Commonwealth Games, everything going on, I think that that's when I think there becomes that, that shortage, and particularly things like production managers as well. I think people are sort of leaving the industry and going on to other things. Um, I think what you have to do as, a, as an employer then is just to be as flexible as possible and, and try and work with those, and also make sure that you're um, having schemes to bring people through as well, and, and people from different backgrounds where you wouldn't traditionally go. I think that's a really important thing. So make it an opportunity, really. Sorry, do you think remote production helps or hinders the, t the crisis, the talent crisis that we have? Um, I think overall helps. Uh, I think I think it, it probably, in some sense, doesn't make it as appealing um, if you if you know a lot of people. When I sort of started out at the BBC a long time ago, part of the appeal was going to work in Olympics in Sydney or going to work in a World Cup in, in Korea and Japan. Like That was a big part of it. And yeah, you, that, as I alluded to earlier, that is a bit of a gamble. But I think it does make it easier, more flexible, and, and people with families can work around it instead of having to commit to being away for five weeks like we would have done if the Women's Euros were somewhere else. We were able to have a team and bring people in, and, and it meant that we didn't have to dedicate five weeks. They could work on 10 days rather than the whole sort of 35 or something. So, so yeah, I think it, it's sort of a bit of both, really. But I think there's just is that industry-wide challenge, I think, about getting good people. And, and I think we have to all work a bit harder to, to make those pathways better for people to, to do that. I can't, I can't really improve on that. I think Mark's right. I think it is a challenge. And um, <clears throat> the TV industry needs to work hard to make it an attractive place to work. I think Whisper have led the line in that. And, um, you know, um, I mean, the, other, the only other thing I would add to it is, you know, sometimes you have to think outside the box, you know, um, uh, we've gone to other genre to um, employ people that we want to have in the business. They might have a social background, they might have an entertainment background, they might have a factual background, but actually the influences that we have in our programming are all of those things anyway. Um, and, um, you know, live sport is, uh, you know, um, I can learn a lot from Mark, Mark can learn a lot from me, but there might be somebody sitting down here from an entertainment background that we'll both learn a lot more from than learning from each other. And I think actually that's a good thing to do. Brilliant. Um, so I think you know the talent, uh, the talent pool is, is obviously a challenge for, for everyone across the industry. But it'd be great to hear from you too what, what your challenges are for going into next year and, and how you plan to overcome them. I think it's looking like it's shaping up to be another busy year. So I think that's um, that that's really Im Im important um, that we that we have that point. I think we we've been 
quite sort of strong on, on having a, a really sort of growing staff base really I think others go on more of a freelance model or short-term contracts but I think by committing to a to a team and having them um, in-house does allow you to, to work on those major events so um, when, when they come up so I think that um, that there are challenges uh, for the industry ne next year but I think we'll we'll confront them as we always do and, and hopefully it'll be a be a really busy year for the right reasons um, yeah I mean look the, the, I think it was said earlier I think um, uh, Pete or Ben was talking about the <clears throat> or Ben was talking about the amount of sport on the BBC. There's a huge amount. The calendar is never empty, um, and the calendar is never empty now with uh, major rights. Although post-pandemic, there's still a, we're still closing the envelope on the pandemic. Um, but now there's there's um, there are other events which people, uh, I think, not the major events we talked about this morning. There are that you, you can take you can pretty much name any sport. Um, and there would be events of one description or another on through the year. Then you have, um, as we mentioned before, you know, you've got rights holders who are creating new product. Those require people. You've got brands that need, that need to activate against that product, so they, those need um, people. So the challenge, I think, for indies um, and for any kind of media business is to, is to scale to a point where you can meet the demand, um, a bit like running a train company or, or a car company. Can you meet the demand of the customer? And then have you overscaled or have you underscaled? And then can you foresee what's going to happen next in the industry? Can you foresee remote that you're not traveling all those people and suddenly you don't have too many people? You haven't oversold the role that they're going into thinking to Mark's point they're going to travel. So there are so many challenges in our business, but um, ultimately, um, as I said you know, right at the beginning, it is a great time to be in the market. Um, I think that the growth that, that was talked about in the first session, it, you know, I've been doing this for a long period of time, and it's never, even during the pandemic, it was clear that when, as soon as the pandemic was over, boom, the, the box was going to open, and that's exactly what happened. The broadcasters can hardly work hard enough to fit everything in their schedule. The rights holders have got to fight for that airtime, um, and that's the reason why they are opening up OTT platforms of their own um, to, to directly hit the fan. Um, so... To Mark's point, I think there'll always be challenges of a sort, but we always seem to get through them, and the industry, you know, continues to grow. I think, from a content point of view, the, the, the exciting thing is that the growth of women's sport, of which we've um, been really sort of excited to play a big, big role in, um, is the fact that when I was at the BBC and working in football, you'd think, okay, there's a major event every two years, but now with with the women's World Cup and the women's Euros in there, you feel there's a big football event every year. You add sports like rugby and cricket, and and it feels like every every year there's a really big event happening, whereas before you used to sort of plot your way between them. So I think that's really exciting and that offers a lot of opportunities for, for everyone working in industry. We've got three teams going out to the World Cup. There's a lot of indies who will be represented there there as well. So I think there's always opportunities. You've got the big women's World Cup next year. We've got an office in Australasia, so hoping to play some part in, in that as well. So you're always sort of trying to look at these opportunities, but the good news is there's a lot out there and there's lots to go around the, uh, the various sort of production teams around. Brilliant. We've got another question from Anonymous. Um, who are the key stakeholders in a big live production, and do you have relationships with right holders as well as broadcasters? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the key stakeholders are really the the, the, the ultimate rights holder and and the, and the clients. The, you know, the broadcasters. So, in a way, you know, Mark and I have got have got two bosses, right? So you've got the rights holder, who are if you're employed by the rights holder, the rights holders employ you to create the content, and your content is being seen by multiple broadcasts around the world, of which any single broadcaster might come and say, I'd like you to do this or that. I mean, there, 
you know, in our business, you know, there is um, one size doesn't really fit all anymore. The world, the, the, the sense of a world feed is is kind of it's not yesterday's news, but it's it feels like it's on the way out. So for Formula E, we will have so Formula E are our client. Ultimately, we're also doing a world feed for 2030 international broadcasters. Then we've got a show for Channel 4, a show for CBS, a show for Star, a show for Eurosport. Uh, those are versions. Then we've got another 20 broadcasters hanging off um, our international feed. You know, we've got um, Pro Sieben on site. We've got La Keep on site. So you've got multiple takers. Um, it's the same for CLGP, same for SLT. But uh, you've, you've got to manage those cl that client base. It's quite a wide portfolio within one within one product. And then you might have a whole load of companion content or, or digital and shoulder content that goes out. You've got to manage all that as well. So those are all the stakeholders. And then from a production point of view, naturally, you've got to put the right people in the right place at the right time to make sure you offer the right kind of product. Um, um, so, and, you know, it doesn't, that, that's not going to slow down either. I would imagine, as we said earlier, that, you know, for, for one major right, and Ben, you know, Ben, ben or um, um, uh, Ben was talking about, you know what they'll do in the BBC to create a whole lot of different product. That's the same for every broadcaster around the world. So it, 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 it's it's quite a it's quite a travelling uh, circus that all that content that gets made. Yeah, it's a big. The balance is the key. I mean, going back to the women's Euros, we were we were predominantly making that for the BBC, um, but also we have relationships with the FA and relationships with UEFA. So it is a balancing act. And if you are extremely critical of the England team then suddenly you're going to get someone on the FA on the phone to you. But I think in that situation, all you've got to do is is be fair. I think as long as you can justify you're being fair and you're dealing with it in the right way, then you can manage those, those stakeholders because it's really important action. I think that's been a big move in, in women's football in the last three years, that the pundits have been critical and the fact that we were almost a bit too nice when it was being done sort of four or five years ago. And the whole part of the women's Euros was about trying to put it on a par with the men's game, both in terms of the depth of coverage, the quality of the coverage, but also that tone as well. And I think having that, that mix of a panel that is prepared to be critical, if it's done in, in the right way, is, is really important. But the whole balancing act of, of not keeping everyone happy, because you can't please everyone, but, but seeing to be doing your job in a right and fair way is really important. But, but ultimately, it's whoever gives you the contract is the most important stakeholder. That's the relationship that you have to protect. Yeah, and I know we've mentioned earlier kind of the congestion in terms of the events back to back. Is are the partnerships that you create and develop are they becoming a key part of the strategy in order to manage all the events that you've got coming up? Yeah, I think um, you know usually with a major event you'll have the you'll have the main rights, you'll have the main rights holder, you'll have all the broadcasters that we've talked about, and then you'll have a load of partners that want to activate against that partnership. So even with um, so even, and some of those partners, they want to activate in the live. So <clears throat> in the formatting piece, so for Extreme E, for example, we might have, so we created something called the Command Center, which is a fixed rig where all the drivers came together. And we did that through necessity because we didn't have multiple cameras down the, down the traditional pit lane. So we huddled them all in one area. They were all, could talk back to the drivers, all the teams and, 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 and team principals. And then Vodafone wanted to sponsor that area. So we had to work out, Okay, where do we put Vodafone, or where do we where do we put Vodafone in the show? Where do we put a technical partner? Where do we put a timing partner? So, so the kind of ecosystem of sport in you know a very high level is is as wide and deep as it's ever been. So you've got rights holder, broadcast partners, sponsorship partners, 
OTT partners, and, and also you've got the fan, and you've got the drivers. So the drivers want to activate as well, and which is good for the rights hall. You've got the fan at the end, and actually there was a, it was a there's a brilliant phrase that was caught, coined by a, an organisation called the Sports Innovation Lab. It's called the fluid fan, and the reason it's a brilliant <laughs> phrase is because the fluid the fluid fan is what we're working with now. The fan just goes from live to companion product to social to digital to following a, a, a player. And that, that fan is just bouncing around all that different content. And then our job is to, as live producers, to get them back into the funnel, get them to work to find the way to the live, to actually watch the live product. There's so many engagement points now for the fan to kind of play with that, in a way, for the rights holder, it, it sort of doesn't matter how they play. But ultimately, the broadcasters really want them to play in the live. So they, they can to Sky's point of it's only live once they can, when they see the live moment, that's the heart of what sport's about. But there are so many entry points now that didn't used to be, and actually the sponsors want to activate in all of those entry points because that's good for them as well and that hits their ROI. So commercially, it's brilliant for the sponsor. They've got so many places to go to now. That was a long answer to your question. Ben. I forgot what the question was. <laughs> Um, it was about how partnerships are becoming a key part of the strategy to manage the congestion in the calendar. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Okay, very good, very good. Um, so obviously, you know, we've, we've kind of touched on earlier, um, Mark at Whisper, you've got a very large variety of different sports that you do. So how are you taking learnings, for example, say from the Paralympics to an AJ fight to the Commonwealth to, to the Lionesses in the summer? How are you... I think it, it, it's looking at what bits work and what bits don't work. And as Pete was talking earlier, like when you've got data, that's really useful in terms of viewing times and number of viewers and, and those elements. But a lot of it can be subjective when it when it comes to the creative side. But I, I think you just the more major events you do, the more you get used to that, and the more you build that that team around it, and you you have people who have experience and of of looking at those those moments and just constantly learning from it really. And I think. Um, a lot of the stuff that work, we've worked with Channel 4 on, on both our Formula 1 and the Paralympics is, I mentioned about that entertainment approach, it's also about getting big names into the coverage, the way that we've got Tom Cruise and Ryan Reynolds and, and different names, David Harewood did something this year, and then we took that sort of policy into our Women's Euros and, and had Joy Crooks doing our opening titles, we had Natalie Portman doing our opening sequence and, and other sort of big names sort of throughout the coverage, and so you learn some of those sweet spots and you get, you get a bit of a reputation for it, and I think that becomes a bit of a calling card in how you deliver that. So I think, yeah, look, looking at how those things really work, but also being sort of honest enough to look at things that don't work and, and when you see things that, that don't work in some areas, and we talked a lot with, with Channel 4 and our first sort of Paralympics prep show about, about how important the action side of it was, and we probably did we get that balance right between sort of um, features and action, and, and very quickly you make that change, and then you take that into some of your other coverage. So, you, and, um, so I think it's important that you, you're always learning and then, and then also looking at the bits that, that work, but, but not being afraid too afraid to move on the bits that don't. Yeah, and I guess, Lawrence, obviously you've got um, quite a large portfolio. Some some uh, sports like Airspeeder, for example, are just literally starting to take off, excuse the pun, um, <laughs> uh, versus, you know, Formula E, which is now very established. So how are you taking the learnings, for example, from Formula E and applying that to Airspeeder? And, and maybe, maybe you're not because you've learned that things potentially don't work. Yeah, I mean, I think um, Airspeeder is kind of sort of... <coughs> You know, it's um, it's kind of so futuristic. It feels like an H.G. Wells chapter, right? And it's just, it's, you know, the airspeed is it's kind of the future of flying cars. So, um, can cars fly, and can they compete against each other? So, um, uh, and, and, and all, um, you know, motorsport or all kind of mobility was kind of 
started by competition. You know, cars weren't suddenly just arrived. They, they compete against you. They compete against each other in the start, and that's where the learnings are. So, Airspeeder is, from a technical point of view, is fascinating. Of can we create a race with in, with flying cars? Right. So, can can we actually do that? Um, there's a huge learning in Extreme of what we learned using some of the gaming engines and some of the tech that we use in Extreme and we're porting that to Airspeeder. And that might be in the data harvesting, it might be in the use of um, the 3D space of you know, one vehicle against each other in the air. It might just be use of special cameras, it might be Unreal Engine, it might be... It, we're not quite sure yet, but we did a test event down with the, with the guys in Adelaide, it was very successful. And well done to the Airspeeder guys for doing it because you know, really properly bleeding edge, you know, pioneering stuff, even getting these speeders off the ground and then racing them remotely. It's just kind of like, should this even happen? Um, so, uh, but, the, but the influences are, I think the influences we talked earlier about the challenges and the influences. I mean, the challenges are like not sport v sport. The challenges are, not, I'm watching rugby league, should I be watching rugby union? The challenges are not women's sport, should, are you trying to take the football guys the challenges, in my opinion, are the younger audience are watching. The challenges are Call of Duty, FIFA, Breaking Bad. Those are the challenges. You know, we, we live in a sports environment where we, where we are responsible for a huge amount of content. But the audiences, the, the reason that some of this audience is falling away is because there is so much cool stuff to be doing and to be sitting on for a long period of time. We mentioned, we mentioned um, community and Twitch. Twitch is massive. We did a job for Twitch last year. And the creator network in the community is just gigantic. Those guys are just kind of playing with each other. They're just having fun with each other around the world. So the influences that we have, March Right Entertainment, you know, reality is a, you know, should be a big influence in terms of what we're doing. Gaming is a massive influence in terms of what we're doing. You know, we've learned a lot. Formula E had this kind of urban gaming tech city center environment. XE had a sort of, extremely had a kind of natural history, science um, tech influence and airspeed has got this kind of very futuristic sense of it's a rocket ship are we even going to get there it's a tech business and in most tech businesses you launch them before they are complete and that's what airspeed is about and that actually is work that's the essence of the whole business as well fascinating stuff and um, i think we've just got time for one more quick question um so i'd like to direct it to both of you which event are you most proud of this year that you have covered I think it has to be the women's Euros. I mean, the, doing our first sort of title weight fight was, was heavyweight title fight was, was a massive thing for us as a company. But I'd kind of been at the BBC for, for 17 years and, and had a lot of disappointment hanging around in car parks after England had been knocked out and had that, that <laughs> feeling of like, is it ever going to be the case? And when England and Spain were playing in the quarterfinal, we were one down, I kind of thought, geez, perhaps I'm the curse here. And that, um, but, but to see a comeback from that and to win it and to have that moment of England winning a major tournament in an event that we were producing was very, very special in a moment that we're really proud of, of the partnership we have with the BBC on it, but it's just as an individual to, to, to enjoy that and to be there and to see it after 20 plus years of working in the industry was a, was a real highlight. Um, do you know what, I think I'm gonna choose one which we did at the weekend, which was, um, we haven't mentioned previously, which is a smaller event, which is a Super League Triathlon, which is a great series full of Olympic athletes Final event was in Neom at the weekend, and um, challenging event to do through the through the year. Um, not challenging because of its because of its nature, but just because we had we had 
we had five concurrent series on and getting in and out of these countries at, at quick speed um, is hard and um, uh, that finished at the weekend maybe I'm just happy it's finished uh, <laughs> as another series has come to an end but um, I, you know I think we're particularly pleased with that. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time and thank you for all your questions. I hope you enjoyed them.